What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Hi, and welcome to the Black Flake podcast. We're starting off a little bit early today, which is unusual for us. Usually we're 10 minutes late. So um, we're, we're I'm usually, at the bit here. I'm, I'm usually 10 minutes late to my own show. So this is, <laughs> this is like a weird, I guess like if you're 10 minutes late and I'm usually 10 minutes late, we're like two negatives turning into a positive, uh, like when you're doing multiplication, maybe last we're night, each other out. <laughs> Last night, I scheduled it 10 minutes later than I told everyone, and it was still 10 minutes later than that. <laughs> so I feel kind of weird scheduling at like 710. It's like, I don't know. But yeah, no, I get that. It is. Yeah, so you're to... about to uh, give birth. Your wife is. Um, no, you... no, I am. Men can give birth to Samuel. Stop being so, uh, <laughs> you know, cis heteronormative. I think I got that term right. I haven't, I haven't caught your. Um, you had Carrie McDonald on. I really wanted to check that out. I haven't gotten to it yet, though. There is Carrie, this... Carrie Baldwin. You mean? That's that's who I meant. Yes. Carrie who McDonald. did I say? <laughs> you said Carrie McDonald. I was like, who the heck is that? Well, I think she's another Facebooker person or something. No, I don't know. I don't. I've never heard the name, so I don't even know any McDonald. I'd have so to look like, it. I'd have to look it up. But. Uh, yeah, so I was wondering how did that go? Um Oh, that was amazing. Carrie uh so, so Carrie, me and uh Greg Baus are like the uh you know, we're the reformed Calvinist Christian libertarians and uh uh but Carrie uh I remember watching I first heard of her when she was on the uh, Soho forum. Sorry, I'm I'm like OCD and there's dust on top of my webcam. I had to clean it. <laughs> um <laughs> I always yeah, forget I to do it before the show. Too. 
Um, yeah, so she did great in that debate. Uh, and then I uh, met her and interacted with her online in Christian libertarian groups on Facebook. And then when I started my show, she was on pretty early on, like maybe episode five or six, I want to say. Um, and then I had her on for episode 50. And then, yeah, I just had her on last week again because we had gone a little bit into abortion before when I had her on, but we hadn't done a deep dive. And uh, given current events, I thought it would make sense to do that. And, you know, Carrie comes from it. You know, obviously, we're both, you know, kind of reformed in our theological leanings. So we we have that in common in terms of the way we approach that issue from a religious perspective. But but also we we share uh sort of like our you know our views of justice and sort of enforcement are, are similar because I, I sometimes you know we will be unpopular in the pro-life movement broadly and even among pro-life libertarians because while while we're both anti-abortion neither of us would advocate for you know uh, you know, authoritarian means in terms of banning abortion while the state exists, even at the local level. I'm not a, a fan of it. I mean, uh, devil's in the details. I'm, I'm, I'm less opposed to laws targeted at the providers themselves, but uh, it, it gets messy when we're talking about punitive measures being applied to the mother because it's kind of like, well, what are you going to do? Lock a pregnant woman up in jail for nine months and yeah. <laughs> force her to give birth? It gets a little, a little messy. Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean it, it, there's, I don't know, some people view it's like if you're against something, it means you have to be willing to oppose it, even to the extent of using violence to stop it, which just, I don't know, there's something in me that, and Carrie shares this, it's just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really make sense from either a libertarian perspective, or especially from a, a uh, born again Christian perspective, it just doesn't uh doesn't align with with how i think justice is supposed to work so but that was that was a good conversation uh to go into the pro-life argument but also a uh what she calls it is a restorative view of justice um, oh i love so restorative very, justice yeah yeah yep so uh, there's actually a state i think she was it colorado or some other state where there's like a like a uh, a county or something or a city or town or something that has been experimenting in that and it's yielded some pretty good results so yeah, their yeah. Um, victim satisfaction rate went way up. Yeah, like the number one thing you would want, I would say. Like you, you know, that's well, that's just what amazing. you know. Yeah, I mean, like justice in a. I mean, there's, you know, like I suppose in a Christian sense, there's like an ultimate justice that that God achieves, right? But justice, insofar as we we try to achieve that here on earth. Uh, should kind of, I think, be focused on, well, what does the victim want to, to, to a certain extent, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that everything the victim demands would necessarily be reasonable, but the goal should be the, you know, I mean, so the, the libertarian mantra, you know, no victim, no crime. If there is a victim, well, how can we make the victim whole? If we can't make the victim whole, how can we make the victim a, as close to whole as possible? And to not have the victim involved in that process in terms of them having a a leading role in defining what it is to them that they want to to be made whole um you know is sort of illogical so um yeah it definitely definitely seems like a promising frontier in terms of like you know uh, you know maybe you know trying to to push for uh that sort of model in more areas yeah, I mean, you think about it, someone, uh, 
some kid was drinking and driving and hit someone and killed someone so like the the parents of that child don't necessarily want that kid's life ruined um some of them probably do but some of them probably want you know they want their daughter back when they want uh you know like ruining the kid's life doesn't really bring them joy or happiness or bring that kid's life back and so i think like re restorative justice where they sit in a room and they kind of discuss everything together and kind of figure it out as much as possible i think it's uh, a much more humane and much more beneficial for everyone yeah i, I agree i mean I, I there's certainly some crimes where i don't know that it would be the right approach carrie uses the example of like uh, an abusive spouse it might not be the right uh, right setting to to do something like that and maybe maybe you know there maybe some more violent or depraved crimes it, it might not you know so i mean you know listen there's no uh, i think some libertarians uh or pro-lifers christians whatever i mean i think all ideologies do this to some extent or people within a, a lot of ideologies do this to some extent but they you know we we tend to get very uh um what's the word here uh it's it, what am I, i'm having a, a mind blank here oh the um we we tend to engage in a, a sort of like uh nirvana fallacy where we we demand that the solution be perfect and if it's not we we uh reject it to to sort of like okay so we reject it in favor of what the status quo well the status quo is not perfect either so <laughs> and you know especially from a from a christian perspective it's like well nothing nothing here is going to be perfect so i mean we're just trying to minimize harm right i mean so if if the goal is harm reduction not perfection because perfection is unobtainable um you know then i, I think you want to have as many tools in your tool belt as possible and be able to apply the right tool for the right job and uh yeah, restorative justice models might not be perfect in all cases, but it, it certainly helps to have that on the table as an option at the very least, I would say. Yeah, for those who are curious, just a brief overview. Uh, restorative justice is where basically the victim and the the perpetrator sit down in a counseling session with like um, a police officer or something like that at the table as well, and they all kind of sit down with a counselor and discuss uh, what happened and uh, what can be done about it. And it takes a look at more like the psychological and emotional aspect, not just the, the, the crime that was, you create committed a crime, you need to X amount of jail time or something like that. So the right. satisfaction rate for everyone just goes way up and crime goes down and basically every stat improves. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, you know, for example, uh, you know, let's say even in the case of like a uh, a violent crime, it's like, well, what if I got to sit down with the, the offender and found out that like they were ra raised in a hellhole, right? You know, like a, a lot of times we forget that hurt people hurt people and, um, yeah. you know, victims create victims uh, sometimes is the pattern. So, you know, maybe the person who uh committed a mass shooting and shot my 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 daughter um you know maybe they were raised in a you know a hellhole where they were uh like like abused constantly uh you know fed some some really toxic stuff their needs weren't met and so they grew up twisted and uh you know predisposed to 
to violent antisocial behavior. It's like, okay, well, killing this person is is, is not exactly uh, creating any good. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe it's preventing further victims, but if if there can be something done where, you know, like if, if I was in that shoes, I would be like, okay, maybe this person should be made to pay some kind of restitution in the form of like, uh, you know, money being sent to research facilities or to uh, outreach programs that, that, that work to try to help children in broken you know, family situations or to, uh, I, I don't know, like, you know, looking at what can we do to improve our communities and the environment uh, t- to make something like this less likely to happen. Um, I don't know. That, that, that'd be, that, that would be my uh, approach to something. I, I feel like, you know, I'll, although I'm, you know, it's speculation land, it's hard to say, but, but you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's just, I mean, my, my, one of the things that I, uh, I got this from the uh, uh, the infamous Stefan Molyneux, but uh, it's a good <laughs> saying, so I still use it. Um, uh, but prevention is better than cure, and you know, so many people focus on solving problems once they happen instead of looking at well, why did the problem happen and how can we prevent it? You know, it's like once you have cancer, cancers you know can be hard to treat and hard to keep away for good. But but there's actually a lot in medicine and in and in medical and nutritional research in terms of things that you can do to decrease your chances of having cancer. And if you don't have cancer in the first place, then you don't have to deal with the you know negative side effects or the difficulties in treating it. Um, so it's you know prevention is almost I think always infinitely better than whatever prescriptions we could have to cure or to mitigate something after the fact. Yeah, and it, there's also a thing where you're not supposed to judge policies by their intentions, but by their results. And I think, like these harsher measures in prisons and stuff, like they've looked at it and it doesn't. There's no right. drop in crime or anything like that. It just kind of feels yep. better. And and a lot of pro-lifers to to connect it back to like the the original topic that I talked to Carrie about. Like a lot of pro-lifers will uh, have this sort of like vengeful tact or this vengeful, vengeful approach to the situation. And I think that what's motivating them, and we talked about this, Carrie and I, what's motiv- motivating them is this outrage towards abortion, which, you know, I can, I can relate to, uh, abortion's horrible. Um, but it's like, okay, well, what does putting words on paper that say abortion is murder and we will, punish you you know with whether it's a fine whether it's jail time whether it's the death penalty like what does this actually do like if we're gonna like spike cohen says this a lot like you know if we're gonna have a war on drugs but now it's gonna be instead of on drugs it's gonna be on abortion like well you know if we're gonna do all those same kind of things does that a does that work does that decrease abortions because if it did well, then I would at least be open to that. You know what I mean? Like, even if I had maybe some squeamish feelings about the praxis that they were proposing, but it was at least shown to be effective, then maybe there's a different argument to be had there. But if it's if it's if it's kind of squeamish means and it's not uh, actually resulting in the desired end that you want, then the only reason to still pursue it is not because you actually want to achieve your end, but because you want to be able to kind of like, uh, it's almost similar to virtue signaling, right? It's kind of like moral pontificating about how like we we did it, we banned it, 
And we we got this these official statements and declarations that say this thing is bad. And it's like, but but I don't know. It's kind of a pyrrhic victory to me. Like it 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 doesn't mean anything. Um, I will. It, I will say in like the more conservative defense that um, you should look at if you believe abortions murder, it does make sense to look at to say have the same punish punishment for say like murdering a one year old or something like that. Yes, yes, yep. But I would even say that you know for for murder in general. See, I tend to be. I'm not even. Um, even if we had free market governance, I wouldn't be a fan of the death penalty. Um, and again, that's I have religious and libertarian reasons for that. Um, and you know, so if if my prescription for murder is not the death penalty, then my prescription for abortion won't be the the death penalty. So so I agree, yeah. there should be consistency. If your view is abortion is murder, then your your prescription for murder of a born child should not be you know too far off from your prescription for the murder of an unborn child i will say that the only difference that can be drawn meaningfully is maybe intent um in terms of like classification of the murder because like you know it could change the degree or change it from murder to manslaughter if you know you could make the argument um uh, i'm trying to remember the term i remember Ben Shapiro talked about this once on his show and he has a, a legal background and he used some kind of legal term that like when you're when you're trying to charge people with murder, the, the, there has to be some sort of like, uh, I forget the term, but it, it basically meant like an intent to actually kill another human being. And the problem is in vast, the vast majority of cases of abortion, uh, probably the doctors, uh, but especially the mothers don't think they're killing another human being. Um, at least that's true right now in our day and age, like the culture and the propaganda that's been at play for decades has sort of uh, dehumanized the status of the fetus in the, the minds of many who, who advocate for, who uh, administer and who seek out abortions, um, you know, or, or even if deep down they know they're kind of like being pressured and you know, the other angle is like if you're getting pressured by like a spouse or family or people and you don't feel safe and a pregnant woman uh in that situation who's hormonal and vulnerable can be you know pressured into making a bad decision doesn't mean that there shouldn't you know you could make an argument there there should be some accountability for that but it, it does play into the details of okay but is that murder in the first degree is it second degree third degree is it even murder is it maybe manslaughter uh is it accessory to murder like it's it, you know what i mean it, it gets a little bit murky so I, I would say even if i want to have consistency there are other factors coming into here that would make it maybe a little bit different in terms of the arbitration that you would do for them like you know because you murder a one-year-old baby that's been born. I mean, there's no nuance around that, right? Like, <laughs> there, there, there's literally nothing. There's a bit more nuance around the the murder of the unborn child. I think, at least in our current climate. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, let's pull this. JC says there's a tendency. We established uh, last night that JC stands for Jesus Christ. So there's a tendency for right wingers to just signal your toughness on a stance regardless of the end results. Yeah. Do you think um, the right wing takes personal responsibility a little bit too far? Or, like, I feel like you could not to do like, they're both the same, but uh, they, 
they're different. You know, that whole balance thing that everyone always We're does. not right or left. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the right wing is all about like personal responsibility and they kind of ignore or they don't ignore or at least like in public they ignore the fact that well there's certain realities that put people in certain situations and like they maybe grew up with a harsh reality or this or that or maybe they're not all right in the head or this you know there's so many things i think it's and then yeah. the left on the other hand to balance it out <laughs> they completely ignore personal responsibility and everything is situational like you are just a complete product of your environment and it's just like you know, like you're you're black. Well, obviously you're gonna get shot. I mean, there's a very good chance of that because you're black and because you're from this or that. And they just try to dissect everything into, and they completely ignore um, personal autonomy and right. responsibility. So they're, they're, it's like a t- on the one side you have a tyranny of excessive individual uh, responsibility, and the other side it's a tyranny of zero individual responsibility. Um, you know, and I think the problem on the, the the left has a a pathological excess of empathy, and the right on the extremes has a pathological uh, lack of of empathy, and and you know that's that's a problem that uh, I can relate to because I've I've been on both sides of that. I remember when I was but on the left. The, you can't say the right lacks empathy when they're the they're the pro-lifers they're the ones that are like well what about the big well maybe they're just thinking of the woman well it's it's uh but it's it's selective empathy for a lot of them right so like they they have a hard time with empathy to their enemies or the other side which (laughs) i I find to be ironic considering a lot of these are christians and this is literally what we're told to do by like jesus in the bible is to is to love our enemies and you know uh, yeah. We're asked to walk one mile, to walk a second, and if you're striked in the face, to turn the other cheek, and um, I, you know. It, so, and, and I'm not saying that's easy, and I'm not saying that that should be taken to a uh, pathological end of just like being a doormat, because that's that's also not what that passage is about. But I have, go ahead. Oh, you continue. I have heard well, Christians uh, tip less than other people, so I wonder if it's just kind of this mentality of like, well, I'm. I'm a good Christian. I'm therefore I'm a good person. Therefore, they don't try as hard. Like it, it somehow. I it could know. be could be like a a little bit of like moral superiority at play, but um, I I, I do think it's a lack of of empathy at, at, at the root of it. Um, on the again, the, the, um, we're talking in broad uh brushstrokes here. I, I think that sure. there are parts of the right that that are good at balancing this out but the extreme the, the you know the extreme pro-life uh side especially the conservative parts of that uh that tend to be kind of what we're talking about here you know the more you know vengeful type i think it's you know a lack of empathy a lack of maybe understanding of uh you know the psychology at play um you know like i've i've studied psychology a lot um, you know, I remember I, I was actually considering going to college for psychology and I took AP psych in high school and I've always, you know, been interested in that subject. Um, and when I went and I got, uh, counseling myself over the last few years, um, when I was going through some, some difficult personal matters, my, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my therapist noticed how much of a nerd I was about that stuff and gave me a bunch of books to read on the subject, which were, was helpful for, uh, learning more about myself, but also just continuing you know, my, my fascination with the human mind. And, uh, you know, there, there is something to 
like I, I wouldn't take this to the end of like, let's say a Sam Harris who, who kind of preaches a full biological determinism. But I do think there is something to that idea that like, um, like the extreme example is if you were born in Nazi Germany with, uh, or no, if you were born in, in like the 50 years before Nazi Germany and you had the same genetic makeup as Adolf Hitler and you were subjected to the same or nearly the same set of circumstances that Adolf Hitler was presented to that like you would, you know, almost certainly end up uh, believing and doing many of the same things that Hitler did. This doesn't mean that I believe in, I don't believe it's full determinism. And I also don't believe that uh, the extent to which this is uh, somewhat, uh, you know, there's the nature versus nurture. And I think, there is a heavy, I think I see a heavier emphasis on the nature part than many others do. That doesn't mean I think that we should obfuscate responsibility or accountability or the rule of law, but that's why I think restorative justice is better. Because it's like, again, I, I think it's helpful to view evil as less of a, like, these people are literally satanic or literally filled with, with like, uh, you know, some kind of like I, I mean like i'm not saying that doesn't exist but i think for the most part that a lot of what's done that is evil or or, or uh, predatory is often done because they were first victims of of such things or they were just you know they, they weren't given us you know the their needs weren't properly cared for when they were young and that twisted them up and led to where they are today and we should be um able to even if we you know still condemn the action right and stop them from from creating more victims but if you can't find a way to empathize with how some people get to that point of depravity because of or at least heavily influenced by their circumstances then like it's easy to just dehumanize criminals and evil people as just like um I, I don't know, like to, to, I guess just that, to just dehumanize them. And I don't know, there's something in me from that psychological angle and then a Christian angle, right? I mean, we're we're kind of told in the Bible that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and, and that Jesus died for all. Um, I mean, that includes people, I mean, you know, like this isn't theoretical, like, you know, look at Saul, right? Like Saul, who later turned to Paul, he was literally going around killing Christians and Jesus not only forgave him, but made him like one of the greatest apostles who wrote, you know, over half the New Testament. So, um, you know, if, if Jesus can forgive someone who was murdering uh, people, you know, especially like murdering people who were going around being followers of him um, and forgive him and, and work out redemption in his life, I think I have to hold that open as a possibility for for everyone. and. I'm not saying that's easy, but I do think that's correct from both a psychological and a theological perspective. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with that. I guess uh, you know you think of Jesus on the cross too, like with uh, he just forgave the guy next to him, and uh, you know it's weird too with just if you read Christian like. Um, miraculous stories those type of books you know um, a lot of them begin with you know someone was compassionate on him and didn't uh didn't condemn them for what they were supposed to be condemned for 
So um, even uh, what's it, Les Miserables, you know, that story um, that's not necessarily Christian, but I think um, I think we kind of, we forget about that when we come to politics. We just expect that uh, we can be super harsh on people and it's not, it's going to be productive. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to think of like the perfect balance though. Of, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a balancing act. And I do think that, like I think that what people are afraid of is, uh, oh well, if we're forgiving or if we're compassionate, if we're empathetic, then we are not going to be as harsh or as condemning of evil as as we feel like we are we are supposed to be, and and I get there's a tension there, but again, I think especially like and this is me coming more from my Christian you know uh, background here, like Jesus is capable of strongly condemning evil while also forgiving and dying for the people who, you know, including the ones who were actually ringing, you know, nailing him to that cross. Right. So it's like, it doesn't mean, um, that doesn't mean a lack of accountability. Like I, I, right. I believe that the, there should still be consequences, right? This is not like, I mean, and even in the Bible, like if you forgive somebody, if Jesus forgives you of your sins, well, you still have to face the natural consequences of your actions. Uh, God very rarely delivers people from from such things. Um, but I think if we're going to forgive people, then we should, if possible, aim to make the consequences more restorative and more peacemaking through love and mercy or at least framed in those things than vengeance and 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 wrath and and punitive measures um th there might be limits to that like anthony's asking here um if people can become unredeemable um and are we always to forgive you know uh from the bible i mean that's a little a little murky there are some passages that you know would seem to suggest that maybe people hit a certain point where God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Um, I mean, this is kind of like when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, uh, so I don't know, like I, I can't say I can give a perfect answer there, but if I'm going to err on the side of one or the other, I would rather err on the side of trying to be as forgiving as possible than trying to be as vengeful as possible. Um, you know what I mean? And at the very least that's, that's where I'm always going to lean. And yeah, there's going to sure. be, there's going to need to be a burden of proof that has to be met before I would back off on, on, you know, there might be an individual cases where I, okay, this one I, I need to approach differently, but the burden of proof has to be met first. What do you think of Jesus is Christ um, question here? <laughs> Where is the line between turning the other cheek and defending yourself and others against a persistent aggressor? Yeah, I always kind of did wonder about the the turn, turning the other cheek, you know, um, you know, and take the whatever it was an extra mile and stuff like that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? So, I don't know. So, so you know. Uh, Again, there's there's so many parallels between libertarianism and, and Christianity, um, and the problem in both of them tends to be line drawing. Because we'll have principles, but then when we go to apply those principles to reality, we go, well, where does the line for this, right? Like, so like with with libertarianism, what's often talked about in our circles is, well, we believe in the non-aggression principle, but where's the line 
if there are people who are constantly violating the not aggression principle and oppressing us, where does the line by which then if like it's crossed that the NAP goes out the window and we can violate the NAP to a certain extent to defend ourselves and to uh, stop the oppression? And that, that's kind of the same question being asked, but from a Christian perspective here, like where is the line yeah. when we no longer are called to turn the other cheek to our enemy? Um, and, and the problem is, and this sure, as far as what, like, you know, okay, once this happens, that line's been crossed. Like it's not a clear line in the sand that stands for all time, but rather I think it is sort of, you kind of have to, make judgment call based on your own individual or societal or historical circumstances. Um, I think in general, uh, as far as maybe a, a, like things that I would look for, um, if it is possible to bear the aggression uh, that's being thrown at you, we should try to bear it. As far as like, if if the aggression is just being aimed solely at you um up until the point that it would uh kill you you know what i mean i, I think the only times that we should we should die uh be willing to sacrifice ourselves might be cases where like we're called to be a martyr of the faith and i don't know if i could even subject somebody to that if that's kind of like well i tend to think if people are called to be martyrs they know they're called to be martyrs so you know make that judgment call do you feel called to be a martyr <laughs> if not then i think it's okay to defend your life if it comes down to that but up until that point if it is possible for you to bear the persecution or aggression nobly um you know what jesus says and what paul says is to when you when you respond to the hate and love it's like it, it it's actually like uh um dumping a uh uh, like like burning coals on their head is it, it, sort of the effect it has. Um, I think there's a different set of principles then for what we do when it comes to aggression towards our neighbors. I do think that, uh, it, you know, it's one thing for me to turn the other cheek to aggression that's happening to me. But if I see my neighbor is being aggressed against, I think that the call to love my neighbor uh, does supersede uh, in most cases, the call to love my enemy, um, because it's like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor and my enemy, uh, and one of them is committing violence against the other, well, um, you know, you can't love, to me, it's kind of like a, almost like a mathematical or logical equation here. It's like, well, if you do nothing, you're kind of failing both, right? Like, if you do nothing, you're not really loving your neighbor. And also, if you do nothing and just let your enemy uh, continue to poison their soul with violence and sin, you're not really loving them either. So I think what you do if someone is aggressing against your neighbor is you first try a peaceful resolution if, if you see an opening for it. And if there's not, you would... You know, I wouldn't say by any means necessary stop the aggression. Uh, I, I feel compelled to, you know, maybe, and again, this is where it gets into like the, the, yeah, the like nitty gritty details of situational, like, uh, 
you know, like awareness of like what's going on. I would prefer non-lethal means of aggression if possible, but that's that's not always possible, or at least it's not always possible. Like you know, it's like in hindsight, you could go, "Oh, you could have done this," but in the moment, like I'm not going to judge somebody, and I don't think God judges them if in the moment they they didn't think of, "Oh, I could have done this." So I don't think it's a black and white thing. It's more of an archetype that we're supposed to do our best to to try to live up to. Yeah, one of my favorite libertarian memes is the the one where it says the floor is nuance and there's a bunch of like libertarians just not standing on the floor. Um <laughs> Yeah, I know that one. That's I think it's uh yeah. Yeah, I think I shared it to you a few times. Yeah. No, that's that's so true. It's, <laughs> yeah. And uh I like what Milton Friedman says. He says there are principles and then there's the application of principles and I think a lot of times the principles are pretty black and white, you know, here's yeah. what you should do, here's what you shouldn't do. Um, the application of the principles is where it gets tricky, especially, you know, like everything's situational and all of that, and uh, it gets tough. So I want to change topics a little bit. I originally brought you on because you were talking about the Enlightenment movement. So I was wondering if you could go into that. It was, it was like a tweet from like three weeks ago. So you'll have yeah, to... Yeah, so there was, there was a, a thread where we... Oh, and the, the Protestant movement. Yeah, the the are Protestant you Catholic or Protestant the, now? Um, if if it's possible for something to exist in the middle of those two, that's what I am. Flores nuance, man. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I I don't really identify as either, like, because I'm not a Catholic. Because I don't agree with Catholic theology. I don't agree with Catholic hierarchy or their institution or the claim of the the papacy or or uh, or, or any of that. But I'm also not a Protestant because, I, you know, a, a bad tree. I mean, you'll know you'll know them by their fruits. And what is the fruit of the Protestant movement? Like, I don't see any good fruit there. Um, yes, I am trapped in limbo, JC. Um, so it, I, I'm in I'm in purgatory. You're gonna come around is, to Lutheranism? See, I, maybe maybe this is all a simulation, and this is my purgatory. I'm stuck here until i accept catholicism and then god will let me into heaven <laughs> um, or it's a trap and it's like no you were supposed to reject it and then i you know it's, um but no i think uh so th- there's something that and this this comes up a lot in the praxian post-libertarian circles um uh also uh, our mutual friend james talks about this a lot james gentleman from the blackbird podcast um fellow fellow minnesotian uh sometimes you, i forget you, how awesome that guy is i'll go listen right? to his podcast and i'm like this guy's really brilliant uh yeah because i'm like in chat he's he's from minnesota i'm from minnesota so we're like in chats together and i mean he's brilliant in the chats too i suppose but you know it's just your more like casual conversation than you turn on the podcast and he's getting deep into theology and all of that and it's like oh this is really like when you jose and uh james were on that was a really good podcast by the way Oh, I'm glad you thought that was a pain. The problem is I love both of them, but when we get both of them together, it's just like the conversation is so hard to steer because they, they both they both kind of like their personalities are so strong that like, <laughs> I'm Jose, like I, wanna, I don't care. Yeah, it's like I want to talk about this. And then basically Jose is like, 
<laughs> I don't care, and then cracks a dumb joke, and then James is like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me pontificate and go into a tangent and change the subject to this now. And you're just like, okay, well, <laughs> there goes my show. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, but it's good. It's like, it's, it's you ride. know, we'll, we'll, we end up having amazing conversations, but they, it's always like I have a, I go in, I have to stop doing this. I, I, I try to go into my podcasts prepared and like, I'll have like a rough outline of here are the questions I want to ask. Here are the subjects I want to cover. And, I, and it's just like 90, I, I can't think of the last time that I actually I mean it, very rarely. The only person I can do that with actually is Carrie Baldwin, who I just had on. Cause like, she has that same mindset so she she she's the only guest who asks for questions ahead of time and i'm like thank you like this makes me so happy that i can just send these stuff ahead ahead of time to you so we're both prepared and we'll just go through the list of questions (laughs) i'll have to do that with you that'd be fun yeah um but so yeah we were talking about uh the enlightenment and protestantism uh, and if these things were a mistake, you know, or good or bad, um, you know, certainly it's popular in the post-libertarian Praxian circles to just, com- you know, completely demonize those things. I don't know if I would completely demonize them, but I certainly do take a critical stance on them. Uh, they're all connected, but they all kind of have, you know, I guess we'll take them one at a time briefly. So, the problem with, uh, I guess we'll start with what came first, and what came first was Protestantism. Um, and the problem with Protestantism, um, so first, to talk about like the issues with Protestantism today, and we'll work our way back to, I think, what, where that comes from, is that Protestantism is, is first of all, it's kind of like a, it's, it's almost a useless word. Because what does it describe? Like, what do what does Protestantism mean except not Catholic and not Orthodox? It has no meaning outside of that. It's right. they don't have they don't have the same theology. They don't have the same structures. They they, they, they it, there's no uniting spirit or force or identity outside of like, well, we're not that and we're not that. We're the third. It's it's like the LP, but worse because it doesn't stand for. At least the Libertarian Party, ha, you know, Libertarian means something. So it's like, you know, it it's it's like the. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, here in PA. We have the the Keystone Party now. Um, it's all the all the loser brigaders here in PA started a party when when we kicked them out. So it, it's like that basically. Um, nice. But but so. Um, well, good for so, them for trying to accomplish something. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Protestantism doesn't mean anything. And it, it it's basically just, it's hyper-fracturing. And now some people try to, like, put a positive spin on this, and they go, well, it's just decentralized. I'm like, yeah, but the Bible says we're supposed to be a, a united, you know, one body of Christ, holy church, uh, you know, to the world, not a decentralized mess of different crap. Like, so authority-wise, <laughs> it's nice it's decentralized, but uh, like what they believe is, you'd like them, like you'd like them all to agree and have it be the truth. Well, I don't even know if I would necessarily want them to agree because, I mean, let's go back to the early church. They didn't all agree. They, they, they there was, I mean, the fights that we're having on the theological. Uh, landscape today are not that much different than the fights that have been had for centuries and even going back to the 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 first hundred years after Christ. Barnabas um, was just wrong. 
um so it you know it's it's not it's not that simple as we just need to all believe the same thing i think obviously there are what i mean is the truth is i mean i'm just talking ideally like the truth is one thing so ideally everyone would agree because they believe in the truth i guess i don't know I mean, so yes, like, it would should be... you baptize your kids or shouldn't you baptize your kids? Well, if, right. it, if you should baptize your kids, I would like everyone to believe that. That makes Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, sense. I mean, I want people to believe as much true theology as possible. But it's just it's just it's also just the human element here at play. That's just not possible for there to be perfect agreement. Right. Um, and there wasn't perfect agreement at the beginning. I mean, think about, I mentioned earlier, Paul wrote half the new Testament. Well, half, you know, most of what he wrote was he was writing to different churches and kind of trying to, you know, half of it was settling disputes that were happening either within those communities or um, between different churches and or between different apostles that were having disagreements. And um, that continued throughout church history and continues today. And, you know, to me, I, I think this, so I, I'm about to go off into a tangent. I'm going to stop myself. I want to stay focused here. So the, <laughs> the, the issue with Protestantism is that it leads to a hyper fracturing that renders it sort of useless in terms of like, like I want to be clear, you might be able to find a good Protestant church. I go to what I think is a, a good Protestant church, non-denominational church. Um, it's not that you can't find individual instances of success but i think the problem is like but the church is supposed to be salt and light to the world and we're so decentralized that like i mean outside of maybe small impacts at our local community like we're not able to take a le- take a leading role in culture because we're so uh we're, we're so fractured against each other i mean think of you know, let me compare this to like, let's say the Libertarian Party or like the the Mises Caucus, right? Like, you don't Me- want the Mises Caucus or the Mises. Okay, how am I supposed to say Mises again, James? I had to stop me. myself from. <laughs> I think it's Mises. 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 Uh, Mises. Mises. <laughs> yes. I, I, dude, I don't Mises. Know. Okay, so uh, the... I had Jack Lloyd on, and I I corrected him too, and he was like, "No, I'm saying it right." I'm like. That's what everyone are. thinks they're saying you're right. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. All right. The but Moses anyway, Caucus. That's a weird um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to call it what my phone calls it because anytime I type out Mises, it autocorrects to Moses. So the, it always does misses for me. Oh, misses. <laughs> the Mrs. Caucus. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess that's very woke, right? Mrs. Caucus. But I'm old dad humor. Um, so the. Uh, uh where was i going completely lost okay so yeah so think of like the um the the mises mises moses caucus whatever you want to call it like um it it would not be good if our detractors were right and it was an actual cult of michael heiss and michael heiss was a lizard person who brainwashed all of us and told us everything to do and we just followed him blindly but the opposite would also be bad if the mises caucus had no organization was so decentralized that each individual county affiliate of the Macy's caucus just did whatever they wanted and didn't submit to any sort of grander vision or authority or cooperative efforts, then it'd be like, well, what are you? You, you? you don't mean anything. You're just a bunch of different groups doing your own thing. 
Um, so if the word Christian is going to mean anything, then we kind of have to have something in common. Um, but what do you think of like the Ron Paul movement, which was completely decentralized? I mean, they just, from what I've heard, it was just completely decentralized. Everything, but was then it died out because it had no, it had no, it had no true. structure, it had no structure to latch onto until now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is why the Mises Caucus was started was to create. True. The, the vessel, the structure for the Ron Paul movement, for the liberty movement to work through and actually create change in our political structures and in our culture. And that's the problem with the church is that, like, I still believe in the small C uh, Christianity, you know, so to speak, to compare it to libertarianism, like, you know, and I believe that that is alive and well, but we lack the sort of institutional competency and organization to be effective. And the problem is the Catholics have uh, some institutional competency, um, at least compared to Protestantism. Like it's not even that I view Catholic institutions as the ideal, but it's like, it's something. It's kind of like if you want to drive on a cross, you know, like you need to, go on a trip and you have a choice between a car that maybe has some problems and isn't your ideal car, but it at least works. And then your other option is like a broken down jalopy that, you know, is just, it's like a project car that's like up on jack stands and, you know, the engine's out of it and all the parts are scattered everywhere. And it's like, well, which car am I supposed to take? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't like this other car, but at least it's a car. This other thing is just a pile of bolts that I can't do anything with. So, um, so, it, so you, you know, you, you kind of like the structure about it a lot more. I like that there's at least the an standardization. Attempt at structure. I like yeah. that there's an, at least an attempt at structure and at unification. You know, like at least like like one of the things that Catholics get right is that they have different orders. They're, like there's the Augustinians, there's the Jesuits, there's the uh, I'm I'm, I'm blanking on there's the uh your father ahead than me yeah no there, there, there's so many and i'm i mean like there's there's at least like six or eight more and i'm forgetting the names off the top of my head but 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 there's but there's different orders within catholicism and so there 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 is diversity within it of thought and opinion there, there are some things that they hold as sacred or, or sacrament that like you have to believe this but there's other things that go well you know, different people have different opinions on this. And I think the church needs to get back to that sort of modeling of we are one church. Here are the things that we will not uh, back down on. And I think what we need to agree to is the gospel, right? Which is, uh, you know, Christ came down, was fully man, fully God, uh, died on the cross, was, was resurrected on the third day. Uh, you know, for the forgiveness of sins and to restore what was lost, to, to bring us back into to to reconciliation with God. And I think it's like, so to me, if you believe that and you believe that Jesus died for you and you accept Him as your Savior, then like you're a Christian, point blank. That that's that 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 is Christianity bare bones. And let's get behind that and let's go do what we were told to do, which is we were told to be light and salt into the world, which means to go preach the gospel, to preach the good news to, to to all corners of the earth and to care for the least of these. 
what means the widow, the orphan, the poor, the downtrodden, that we're supposed to go out there and serve our communities. And it's like, you know what? To do those two things, do we have to agree on um, if the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son or just the Son? Or do we have to agree on, well, does the Holy Spirit provide regeneration and then salvation happens? Or does uh, regeneration happen in a sort of prevenient grace that's applied to all mankind or what about baptism is it you know should you baptize infants or should you wait until they're five or should you wait until they're 16 or it's like i always get (laughs) i always get a kick out of the baptism thing it's like you know there was a time when people were you know just killing each other over this and it's like right it's like is it really that big of a deal (laughs) right (laughs) i don't know well and the the, the one thing i brought up the evangelical free church that basically is their platform like it's just very bare bones they kind of have this philosophy of what's black and white we're black and white about what's not black and white we're not black and white about but i don't know yeah i mean and again there's individual instances where people are getting this right um, but we, we gotta, we gotta push that outward. We have to stop being so insulated from each other. And so that's, that's kind of like why I think Protestant, Protestant up until the, the, uh, the Protestant Reformation, it, like the only schism you had was between Catholics and Orthodox. And even that schism wasn't as bad as, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was good. I mean, it's church history is a mess and there was some politics involved in that and it's a little messy, but like. It wasn't like an irreconcilable split for all time. And really, like, you look at what the Orthodox Church did and the differences between Orthodox and Catholics, and it was like, you know, still a lot of similarities and kind of the same uh, spirit kind of going on there. Um, but, you know, that was like one split. And with the Protestant Reformation, it's like infinite splits continuing to today. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, like I, I brought up the Methodist Church is going through a split. Um, the Lutheran Church has its own tensions, and it, it's different uh, s- um, uh, sub-denominations and stuff. So, there, you know, this sort of hyper-individualized, hyper-fractured view of how to do church, I don't think it's been good for church. And then this, you know, I think the Protestant reformation sort of was a precursor to the enlightenment and uh the enlightenment a bit more of a mixed bag um i think a lot of good things came out of the enlightenment but but the problem is people like to cherry pick the good things and leave out the bad because as much as people might want to talk about all of the good things in like the american revolution the French Revolution is just as much a part of the Enlightenment as the American Revolution. And there's a lot of bad stuff that came out of the French Revolution. And honestly, there's even some bad stuff down at the core of the American Revolution that people don't like to look at. And um, I think there's actually some things in the American Revolution that were basically, you know, how Michael Malice says, like, conservatives or socialists driving the speed limit yeah. um, well the american revolution is the french revolution driving the speed limit um in, in a sense um so there's uh you know the the enlightenment well like like you can draw but i guess like to, to summarize you can draw a line from the protestant reformation to the enlightenment and mm-hmm. from the enlightenment 
to a lot of the problems with our culture today um, in terms of kind of like this kind of crazy woke social progressive crap you see which you know some people say you know i'm an individualist because it's like um you know the, like i don't know like the a core philosophy of morality and and act like individualism can't go wrong and to me it's like well no rat there there's there is such a thing as pathological individualism and to me that is what the woke left sort of represents sometimes like yes there's a collective element to it but that sort of like uh use my pronouns and i am a you know trans queer uh by gender uh you know whatever like all the different labels would... they throw on themselves is a sort of example of this uh pathological individualism where uh it it people the culture turns into something where people are essentially worshiping themselves and their own self gratifications and truth is even uh subjectivized down to the individual level where there is no uh you know the concepts of truth and reality don't have any objective meanings anymore each individual person defines truth and reality for themselves and i think that's a problem and, and so there's a connection between the first two and where we're at today and that's that's my criticism so do you think like the the enlightenment period you know obviously there is a lot of bad things that came out of it with the french revolution and all of that but if you look through like all of history like there's always bad things happening do you think maybe there was more good in the sense that you know if you think of like the progression of thought do you think like the good thoughts that came out of it maybe were beneficial i mean for the first time i i think well if we go back to the protestant revolution the reason the protestant revolution took off the reason first of all martin luther was kind of a badass he was a little bit nuts but kind of a badass but you know it was the printing press for the first time they could just print information they could print stuff in german for all the germans to read it wasn't just some centralized um priest who could read you know latin so for the first time you know they could convince anyone and so and i think like with the invention of like automobiles and trains and travel and all of that that meant people could travel to you know their own personal church or versus just all having to congregate at the one church the one of maybe two churches in the entire town or one and so i think a lot of that is just kind of and i don't know that it's all good because you're going to it's the exact same thing with social media that's happening. It's like people are finding their own niche with people that agree with them. And they're just continuing to, you know, dive deeper into themselves and be more insular. And despite the fact that there are so many ideas and so many uh, people around them. Yeah. What, what the weird thing with social media is like we're more connected than we have ever been before, but we're also more isolated than we've ever been before. And it, 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 it's, it's so like counterintuitive, but, but it, but you know what I mean? And yeah, I don't like, so listen, I'm, I'm like I said, it, there's good and bad, right? I can, I can right. pick good things out of the enlightenment. Um, I can pick good things out of a lot of things that I have criticisms for. I also, but like, like, so like I, so uh, the enlightenment period is also called like the age of uh, reason or the age of, uh, um, modernity and then you have post-modernism which people say kind of comes after 
modernity, and I can find good things in postmodernism, even though it, broadly speaking, is something that I also rail against. Um, you know, I, I was talking to James about this uh, in our last conversation. I was like, you know, I think we we hate modernity, we hate postmodernity. So, like, what's the other option? I guess we're 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 pre-modernists. That's the new. That's that's the new hip thing. <laughs> yeah, he keeps talking about there's going to be a a newer one coming out. Yeah, it's post post modernism. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, and I guess like the other thing, um, you know, this is something James talks about, which I, I largely agree with. Um, it you know, some people celebrate modernity as being the age of reason, and you know, be, reason being a good thing, but it's like when you and this is sort of like the same criticism that jordan peterson makes of like the like hyper rationalism like reason and rationalism uh as abstracts that are not anchored down by some sort of religious metaphysical substrate um those even become pathological um uh, to a to a degree um because people become detached from sort of like humanity i guess i'm trying to figure out a way to phrase this like not not everyone like there are there are atheists and secular people that don't do this but i think a growing thing you see out of secular culture is like this this sort of weird dehumanizing element because i mean which makes sense right like if if it's all reason and rationality the whole way down and there's no greater religious substrate to attach that to what are humans other than clumps of cells and highly evolved stardust and what is morality to eternal beings of highly evolved stardust that don't have any thing thing like a soul or anything like a um you know an intrinsic value to them you know if if you know and it, it's sort of that like there is no good or evil it's just it just becomes a you know, again, that lends itself to that hyper subjectivity that we see that is that is very toxic. Um, but but I think it's changing right now. Like it's kind of gone full circle and, and you, you kind of see people almost reverting back now to a sort of um, anti reason and sort of like the, the, the things that they developed are becoming their new religions. And, and we're kind of maybe entering into or starting to see the beginnings of a new age where people kind of you know have it's kind of like horseshoe theory where they've gone so far into hyper rationalism they're reverting back to like you know um hyper superstition and and uh you know creating these new sort of secular mythologies that they they operate under yeah i guess I will say one, like you asked for one, like, uh, you know, to give the devil its due, one good thing from the Enlightenment was the rejection of the the absolute monarch or the absolute ruler. That is a precursor to kind of like libertarian thought that is valuable, right? The, the That's a precursor to like, you know, the monarch should not have absolute power and from there it's like, well, you know, government should not have absolute power and those who who operating government should be held to the same standards that the rest of us are like that's all that's good like you know what i mean there's, there's good stuff you can derive from it um but uh we don't need to be tied 
to it as if like, well, you know, cause that's kind of a genetic fallacy. Like, you know, okay. You know, something good came from the enlightenment doesn't mean the enlightenment is good and worth preserving. You can just, you know, take the good and, you know, reject right. the rest of it. I do think of like the colonies in America. A lot of the reason I think we started off with a freer society is just cause you, I mean, even though it was all like Protestant religions, they were just all of them baked into like one land and they were all mixed together a lot. And so that's kind of why you had the separation of church and state was just because there was so much infighting. They just kind of agreed, you know, we're going to live with each other with all our different religions. And I think a lot too with the rise and sort of the, the reason or whatever you called it, the, the, but th this age is just the fact that a lot of people were able to look around the world and be like, okay, I have this religion. I believe this is completely true. And then they find someone else who believes a different religion and they believe it's completely true. So I think there's a lot of, there's a giant rise in not just atheism, but just agnosticism where it's just like, well, I don't even know. Um, yeah. And I think part of this too is that like, so, you know, the separation of church and state obviously came from the Enlightenment. And that's one of those things that's kind of a mixed bag, because if if we like if separation of church and state means that government should be government and the church should be the church and that they shouldn't be one and the same. I, I agree with that. Um, but if separation of church and state means government should be secularized to the point where um Christian values and Christians themselves should detach themselves from government and from society and just focus inwards and not not be active active uh in fulfilling a role of leadership in society that I think has been disastrous um you know well, what, what I mean? do you like, think <laughs> of like I don't know Rothbard I mean he was an atheist and a lot of all of his thoughts were very based in a lot of morality and all of that um it's i mean listen i mean on an individual level like i mean I, I'm, I'm not i don't you know I'm, i know i know it's a thin philosophy but well i mean <laughs> um i mean i i'm i'm a regular on reed's show and i talk to jose a lot um you know they're two of my closer atheist friends in the movement and it's like you're, we're brothers in arms i don't have any major right. quarrel with them but uh, I think to a large degree, though, they even if they don't completely agree, I think they at least sympathize with my criticism of of, uh, you know, the things I'm talking about here in terms of like, uh, I, th I think both of them agree that to the extent that the church has become a weaker force in society. And it, I mean, the church either is ineffective or it just decides to warp itself and to become more like the world and more and cater more to the left and all this stuff it's been to society's detriment um so i mean i i, I think that they would both agree with me on that because I've, I've talked to them about this stuff and it's like they agree like well i don't you know they don't believe in in in, in our religion but they they can certainly see the negative effect that um the church taking a back seat instead of a front seat has had it, it you know and it's it's like most things it's, it's over correction right like um you know the, again the church should not be the state i don't believe in theocracy i don't believe in 
reigning Christianity down from high through authoritarian means. So you like, like you know, in the same way, it, it's like you know, I don't want you know, because so you know how like some of the Lauberts they want progressive ends through libertarian means. It's mm-hmm. like you know, well, I want Christian ends through libertarian means, but the problem is Christians have have they were doing they were trying to achieve christian ends through authoritarian means and rejected that to well we were just not even going to pursue christian ends anymore <laughs> they they didn't they didn't they never tried libertarian means instead of authoritarian means they just went straight from well we're no longer going to be authoritarians so what are but you going to do now isn't well, libertarianism like it's a thin philosophy wouldn't you say it can be secular as well well, I mean, no, like libertarianism is libertarianism. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make libertarianism Christianity. Right. Um, so, and I'm not trying to say government should be Christianity either. Um, but I think what I'm trying so, to say is— I mean, if, is, you look at, if you look at Protestant culture, which you, you don't like, um, and you look at Catholic even culture— Even though I'm one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, well, but, and you look at Catholic culture, you know, back in the day, I mean, they were— pretty abusive and whatnot um and to say like well we need to go back to like or have this sort of christian culture it's like well i don't know if that's necessarily at least um the best way to achieve like libertarian ends if that makes sense well why if um so like if the premise of my podcast is true that a consistent understanding of the Bible and the life of Jesus would lead one to conclude in an analysis of uh, political structures and hierarchies and human authority that libertarianism is essentially true and taught in the Bible. Yeah. Then I don't know how Christian uh, mean, or I don't know how Christian so influence I... would be detrimental to to creating a libertarian society so yeah i see what you mean you're talking about your understanding of christianity and what it means versus just the the more uh average christian evangelical type yeah i mean the, the problem is they, they don't know anything it's like like what is christendom right now it's like you have i feel you like have like you have like the three... bible is saying this <laughs> well you have like three uh, you have like three spheres you have one sphere that is basically like we're going to cave in to the left, to the woke progressives, and warp Christianity to to basically say all the things that they want us to say. Then you have like Christians in the middle that are just like, we just want to have our church and leave us alone. And then you have the paleos that are like, uh dio's fault like let's go back and <laughs> let's try this thing again let's let's take back the state and and uh go after the infidels and, and it's like like well okay no, we tried we tried that that didn't work we shouldn't be catering to the woke progressive left but we also shouldn't be doing nothing uh we should be trying to i mean it's simple like it, it's just go do what the bible says to do Go be in the world, not of it. So the problem is when you're catering to the woke progressive left, you're becoming of the world. Um, but uh, we are supposed to be in the world. 
So we can't be isolating ourselves like a lot of the evangelical church is doing. Um, but neither are we called to bear, we're not Islam, we're not called to bear the sword to turn the world into Christianity. Um, right. So I think I think that we're supposed to, like the world's never going to, I, I guess, mean, uh, depending on your, eschatolo uh, your, your eschatological beliefs, uh, you might disagree with me, but I don't think the world will ever, will ever be fully Christian, or even if it is, that's not going to happen for... It'll be Ancapistan for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, but, but whatever, I just think that <sighs> I, I, I was just kind of pushing back on like Reed and Jose kind of agreeing that, um, sort of like we need more of that sort of Christian culture. I understand, um, like where you're coming from, what you're talking about, which is like an actually reading the Bible and understanding it and versus just like, well, I feel like the Bible is saying this or, you know, Jesus has sort of like this comfort toy or something like that but well that's why i take a like I, I so i'm but but you understand where i'm saying where it's like yeah if i look at christian culture like it's not really at least from a political standpoint like from i assume reed and jose were talking about like it's not been proactive towards a freer society necessarily yeah so whereas like the it's a, atheists it's a bit, it's a bit are nuanced basically so the same thing it's you know they're not if you yeah, it's a bit nuanced, right? So, right. Um, if you look back, if you look back through, uh, yeah, and my feet are hovering above the floor right now. <laughs> um, if you if you look back throughout history, um, so again, I want to be careful here because in the same way people misquote Hoppe, they'll misquote me. I'm not advocating we'll, for we'll monarchy. Yeah, we'll clip it, right? Yeah, I'm not advocating for monarchy. But what I will say is that monarchy was not as disastrous or necessarily universally evil and destructive as sometimes our democratic institutions and public schooling would lead us to believe. And there were actually periods of time throughout, uh, you know, the, the first 1500 years after Christ died where, uh, you know, Christians being in control um, you know, especially when it was done more through kind of local monarchs than than like done through uh, maybe Rome, for example, or like the, the, the bigger ones, um, you know, it wasn't that bad. Um, and, it, you know, culturally, right, like politics is downstream of culture. Um, if you have a culture of people who are more or less following what the Bible says about morality, I think the need or the, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to phrase this correctly. So if the culture is Christian, the demand for statism goes down. I think even, even, even if the Christians are not perfect, and even if the Christians are not uh, maybe following theology or scripture as well as I would want them to, I, I just think that the 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 morality taught in the bible the archetypes taught in the bible like rearing your cult your your, your children in a culture like that i think necessarily compared again this is like sort of a comparison i'm not saying it's perfect but compared but, to other cultures uh results in a what well what about like bush like that was the height of the evangelical movement like and we're you know bombing all these countries and stuff mm -hmm. and the well i mean the police so, state and um I, I I would still say so. The, the problem there was I I still think uh, 
to a certain extent, even then, evangelicalism didn't have as strong of a foothold in the culture as we would like to say. Sure, um, yeah. But I'm not saying that, you know, it's perfect. I mean, look back at Old Testament Israel. Like, you know, they <laughs> they were, you know, they fell into, you know, they were God's chosen people and they still fell into sin and idolatry and uh, and were conquered by foreign nations and, and made mistakes. David was a man after God's own heart and he made mistakes. So again, it's not, it's not utopian is what I'm preaching. Uh, I think that the degree to which evangelicals supported war was less out of less motivated by their Christianity and more motivated by just falling hook, line and sinker for the propaganda that was being uh, pushed on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that, that that's what that's how I would put it. And you see a lot of them now. Um, they look back and you know, I won't say conservatives are perfect on war, but they've gotten a lot better. Um, they're they're certainly not at, like they look back at the Bush years and they kinda hate Bush. <laughs> like they kind of know, like, yeah, we got fucking lied to and we got well, so many of them freaking used and 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 that was awful. So many of them went overseas and fought or knew someone who did or like was right. And like they personally experienced it. And so now like and yeah, people on the right know people on the right. So it's uh, I think a lot of it's just experience. Honestly, I think the right would almost be as anti-war as you can be without being libertarian. If it weren't for the attachment to Israel, I think that is still being sort of wielded against Christians in 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 the West to sort of manipulate them which is unfortunate but i think i think a lot of it is uh propaganda and manipulation and you know like the, 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 we we have to do our best to mitigate on you know all these factors but you know let's run the experiment would a secular culture have been less uh, uh gullible or 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 less amicable or less um persuadable into supporting the the bush wars than the christian culture i don't know if you can run that experiment um but my gut feeling is at the very least it's a wash um you know what yeah, i mean? I'd agree so, with that I, I think it'd be a wash so yeah I, i'm not saying it's you know perfect but i think in general um you know, there there is something, you know, this is a bit more my hoppy inside, I guess, but I think in general there is something to that idea that uh you know, promoting lower time preference behaviors in your culture and society just lowers the demand for the state. Whereas if you are promoting high time preference behaviors or at least not disincentivizing them through some means, that naturally leads to a higher demand for for the state um in general like again this is a, again kind of like that's sort of the zoomed out 360 pixel view not the zoomed in 4k view you know what i mean so there's there's exceptions to that but over the say, course of time i think that bears true mostly with christianity gives a lot of people sort of a deeper meaning for their lives and it gives them some some purpose and i think they they tend to take care of their lives a little bit more in the live be more conscious of the lives of others 
versus someone who doesn't believe there is any meaning and is just kind of a little more haphazard with who he votes for or like what they politics they care about um I always thought this was crazy. Uh, Richard Dawkins said that uh, basically we need God because it's like a video camera and it's keeping track of us and what we do right or wrong. And he, he thought cultures actually needed to believe in God. He kind of said that, I don't know, it was like five years ago, which kind of blew my mind that someone like Richard Dawkins would say that. But Well, that's what Jordan Peterson says, kind of. He's like, he says you, you, People almost act as if God exists, even if they don't say they believe in God. Um, so I, th- there's something there to, to that effect. Um, you know, I think a, I think that convincing people that their actions matter to the point that they matter in an eternal sense is a good way to get people to think more critically about their actions than it is to again like i think the secular naturalist worldview just kind of like why wouldn't i just be some kind of hedonistic nihilist right like if nothing matters then make all the pontifications and arguments about morality and right and wrong and time preference you want but it's like i don't care if it's going to do what feels good and what i want and you know fuck fuck the rest of y'all you know what i mean like uh, you know <laughs> yeah. it, 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 uh, now I think most atheists don't do that, but I don't think the reasons that they don't do that are purely rational. I think that they are, to to varying extents, unknowingly, and they wouldn't admit this, and they disagree with me on this, but I think they are acting out the Judeo-Christian values that they were raised in that our culture promoted. Um you know what I mean? And like yeah. reading, reading how they were raised in Christian environments. And although they've rejected the metaphysical claims of Christianity, those cultural uh, shapings in those youth, uh, in, in their, in their youth, uh, it stuck around, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and that's often a lot of, a lot of the most uh, based atheists tend to have that, that same kind of common background. Um, and, and they at least don't hate Christianity. Whereas, uh, the ones that you know that, that that those things aren't true for tend to be the ones that are a bit more cringy. I mean, it's kind of like um, uh, what's the novel uh, uh, "Crime and Punishment"? You know what I mean? It's like uh, uh, Raskolnikov uh, plots the perfect murder and justifies it by saying there is no God, nothing matters. <laughs> but but then when he does it, it it breaks him. And I think that's you know like we people so like i believe in like a natural law kind of like what c.s lewis talks about but i think uh teaching those things through a uh having that metaphysical substrate in your culture is important and again it's not the end all be all right like christians can ob- i want to be clear here christians can obviously be statists like oh, that, sure. that that's yeah. kind of the norm right um the, the norm is statism across all cultures and all religions throughout all history. Cause that's just <laughs> what we've had. Like, so we're all like anyone that wants to go look, the Christians were statists for all these years. They got, you know, in, in so far as we've had secular atheist cultures, they haven't been much better. And in some ways they've been a lot worse. So yeah. um, it, it, it's, it's a kind of a pissing contest that we all lose. No one, yeah. <laughs> no one, no one's winning, but right. um, 
what's going to be better though like like we 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 still have to make the argument for libertarianism but i feel like we're better off making the argument for libertarianism in a christian society or a more christian society than in the opposite of that i guess that that that'd be my summary <laughs> Awesome. Well, I know you got to kind of get out of here. So uh, did you want to do any plugs or anything like that? Sure. So uh, if you uh, want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, right here in the, the right where my name is at Biblical Anarchy. Um, if you want to uh, follow my podcast and uh, check me out there, it's uh, Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. And that's on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, all that stuff. I used to have a website and then stuff happened and I don't have a website right now. I Websites are a, for a website. boomers now. Yeah. I'm well, the kidding. problem, yeah. The the problem is I, I tried to change hosts and like everything went wrong and like the backup to my site got lost and it, it, I'm still trying to deal with tech support and get like, you know, I was assured this would be a seamless transition and uh, um, I don't know, the, the, the Mick nukes are 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 getting ready to be launched by my <laughs> A10 warthogs because you know it violated the NAP by breaking my property rights. I had a a website a while back for something else, and uh, one day I went to it and it was just gone. I'm like, oh, what what happened? Well, so I go through I go through my emails and it's like we are going to be taking your website down next month if you don't you know renew your payment method. And it's like who checks their emails? So there's like ten emails like, yep, we're gonna erased everything and blah 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 yeah that's not what happened here it makes I, sense it, but... it was it was like i wanted to change hosts and and i don't know maybe, maybe the maybe the they in the changing process they saw my content and they were like oh fuck this <laughs> i don't know i think i have thirty-eight thousand unread emails so i think i got you beat but i don't know I'll probably <laughs> cool but uh hey thanks for having me on uh, uh you know this is my I guess third time on your show now. Um, yeah, you're basically so, a regular now, right? And, yeah. And so. Your last show was on abortion with. Am I going to get it right this time, Carrie Baldwin, or? I think that. Am was I my still last saying episode or? Okay, uh, I got the name right because I said someone else at the beginning of the show, but. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Carrie so Baldwin. If anyone, yep. Like, uh, I'm, I've heard her on other places, but I'm really excited for listening to her on your show just because. You guys kind of have a similar outlook, and I know you'll be able to dig deep on a lot of stuff. But she, yep, I think, she has a perspective that a lot of pro-lifers, conservative pro-lifers, would be able to listen to and just be nodding their head a lot. And, oh yeah, she does a good job of sort of combining the best of the pro-life argument with the best of libertarian argument, and it it, it and it comes yeah. together really beautifully. Yeah, like when. Whenever I tell anyone, you know, I'm libertarian, especially if they're conservative, they're just like, oh, yeah, but you believe in abortion. Then I'm like, well, no. And <laughs> now I'm just going to send them over to Carrie Baldwin and probably your podcast just because she has a great take on it. So, yeah, or it's the Definitely. opposite. It's the Lalbert saying, well, you you don't believe in abortion. So therefore, you're not a libertarian. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Wrong. Yeah. I'll so, see yeah, you in Reno. <laughs> Yeah, I won't be at Reno, unfortunately, because I, uh, I, I was I so excited to meet you, but we'll just have a virtual 
relationship from now well, on, I guess. Next forever. Next time. You know, one of one of these years I'll make it out to Minnesota. I have, I have too many friends in Minnesota not to make it out at least once. So Yeah, um, we should maybe. have an event worthy of your uh presence. Or maybe I can what come. What about Porkfest? Do you ever go to that? I've never been to it, but I, I want to go, but probably not this year. Probably be next year. I don't want to bring an infant to Porkfest, but a, a one year old might not be as bad. Same. Um, I got my I got to go I'm going to Reno this year, so that's kind of my one thing I can just go do that I can yeah. kind of make an excuse for like, eh, I told you about this two years ago, Shannon. So I'm just gonna... <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All the all the all libertarians that don't have cash all my brownie and stuff points. and yeah. are just like they go to every event and I'm just like, yeah. Well no. you can be like Josh Smith and just bring your entire right. family. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he does that. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, Someone was talking about like if you can't make it to Reno or something like you shouldn't be a libertarian or you should focus on anyway. I'm just like, yeah, but Josh Smith is bringing his entire freaking family. Like that's a pretty large endeavor. But anyway, let's get out of here. Um, definitely watch Jacob's show. And uh, oh, one more ya. thing I wanted to say is uh, uh, I'm also doing a series on uh austrian economics in the bible uh i got two two episodes out on that and i'm working on the third one which will launch next week so that was the only other thing i wanted to plug but yeah thanks again man for having me on it was a pleasure and uh we'll, uh, we'll do it again sometime you bet and very soon he will have uh his website back up and he will be selling a shirt that i made take oh, yeah, care this, guys this one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love that every time i see it too all right take care guys when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.